Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. I'm an emotionaholic. It's been 37 minutes since my last emotional meltdown. You can ask my kids. They're over here. I'm actually not lying. I cried on the way to church this morning. But it's fine because that's what we're here to talk about. All right. So when Brad sent me a text, I I think he mentioned this last Sunday, but when he sent me a text saying, hey, are you available on July 21st? I was like, yeah, I am. What's going on? well, we're doing a series about emotions. And I was like, I have all the emotions. (laughs) That's so perfect. I used to work with Brad. So if you were at Imagine Church, um, you will maybe know me from there. And uh, Brad certainly remembers all my emotions. So that's good. So I feel like this is very, very fitting. I was raised in a family where emotions were not a thing. I was raised by the two calmest people on the planet. If you know my mom and dad, you will know that it's a little confusing where I came from. Uh, Probably the worst thing my parents ever said to me was something like, Kristen, we are very disappointed in you. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen them so mad. (laughs) I did not. My parents, uh, when my grandpa died, I saw one tear trickle down my dad's face. That's it. I was raised in a family where covering up our emotions was also uh, a sense of pride. Being able to keep ourselves calm, cool, and collected is the measure of a really good person. And then my parents gave birth to me. I'm pretty sure that I came out and immediately started screaming, demanding things, worrying, having anxiety. I was probably filled with fear. I mean, think about birth, if you will, for a hot second. So I'm pretty sure that I stopped the hospital staff and said, this is completely unacceptable. I was warm, I was cozy, you took me out of there, I demand to see a manager. And so this is the child that those two calm, calm, collected people gave birth to. I remember in second grade, um, milk orders, I don't know if they still do this. In your classroom, the teacher would, you know, maybe have uh, a little um, bulletin board and and you'd put your milk order up or you'd put your lunch order up. Uh, I don't like chocolate milk. I think it's weird. It's from the devil. And so uh, the teacher was calling out milk orders and Mike Potochnik was sitting next to me literally from second grade through 12th grade, that's the wonder of the alphabet and alphabetical seating. Mike Potochnik literally talked to me from second grade through 12th grade. I I missed more school for that child. But on this particular day, Mike Potochnik is talking in one ear and I missed the milk order. And I just wanted regular milk, okay? Is it that hard? And so when I realized that the only milk order we can make now is for chocolate milk, 
I pounded my little fist on the second grade table and, and I said, wait, all I wanted was, was regular milk. And my teacher said, Kristen Schultz, go out in the hallway. And I walked out into the hallway and I sat curled up in a little ball with tears coming down my face because of the injustice of this milk order situation that I had been forced into. And the teacher came out and she said, Kristen, what in the world are you thinking? I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted the milk. She said, next time you could raise your hand and say, may I please have regular milk? I thought, well, now there's a novel idea. <laughs> I'd like to say that it sank in in second grade. It, it did not. Uh, my parents, uh, we were not churchgoers, but occasionally my parents would think, like, we should probably take these kids to church. So we would go to church, and, you know, some very nice pastor, I'm sure, would say something like, um, can all the children come forward for story time? And my parents are like, go, come on. So I'd go down there reluctantly, and then I would stand in front of the church, and then the very worst thing happened that I could ever think of. My parents are in the back of the church. I'm in the front of the church. The pastor gets done telling the story, and then he says the dreaded words, children, let's go to Sunday school. Oh, no, you do not trick me like that. I am not walking away from my parents, who are safely in the back of this church, and leaving this room and going to an unknown Sunday school. I thought this man is a kidnapper. And so I stood in the middle of that aisle and I cried in fear, in terror, until my mom walked down, remember, calm, walked down calmly, took my hand, walked me toward the back of the church. And when we got in the car, I thought she understood. This was terrifying. That guy was trying to take me. I got in the car and my parents said, what in the world were you thinking? I don't know, I was afraid. When we would go on family vacations, I'm the oldest of four children, and I think I'm pretty funny. So I would be in the back seat of the car telling jokes and laughing and making up names for things and, and telling inappropriate stuff, and my brothers and sisters were laughing, so surely this is a good thing, and my silliness would get to that, who has kids in here? You know the point, I mean, I realize where my parents were coming from now, the silly, giddy, laughing that is just about to get everyone in the car grounded, and my parents would pull that car over and say, Kristen Elizabeth, that is enough, and I think, but it was funny, it was funny, right? I, I was just feeling joy, I was just sharing, no. My parents are saying, what are you thinking? Kristen, stop. When I was in junior high, my best friend, her name is Ruth, which is a lovely biblical name. But for a junior high kid who is um, quite tall for her age, and as my grandma would say, husky, my grandma doesn't have a, a filter, uh, my, that might be why my parents have such a filter. Um, bright red hair. We're talking fire engine bright red hair. And so with a name like Ruth, uh, junior high kids will do all kinds of great things like um, bark, like roof, roof, through the hallways of junior high and tormented my friend who had the kindest, most compassionate 
quiet heart of anybody I'd ever known. We're at the sledding hill one day, and this girl, Amber, is at the bottom, and she starts the chant. She sees us up at the top, and she's, roof, roof, and other kids start doing it. And I thought, not today. So I come flying. I'm not sure how uh, in my righteous justice um, in my, I was about this height in junior high. I had to learn a lot of lessons about containing emotions, but that's a story for another day. Um, I think that the Lord thought it would be a funny joke to just make me into a short person. So I went flying down the sledding hill, and, and I'm just on top of Amber. I'm not sure I heard her. You know, we were bundled up. It was winter, so I'm uh, not even sure I got to her face. Um, my two friends, Jason, who became a middle school principal, incidentally, and Ruth, uh, come down, Ruth, peacemaker, they're down here, and they're pulling me off, and, and they're, so let's just go home. And we're walking home, and they're saying, what were you thinking? Just stop it. She's not worth it. Come on, let's just go home. Those contrasting views left me always thinking, what is wrong with me? How can everybody else be calm all the time? But I'm up here. I'm afraid. I'm sad. I'm grieving. I'm angry. And everything about me is spilling over. But the people around me are saying, it's just too much. It's too much to be with you, Kristen. Please stop it. This is out of control. Can you get it together, please? I actually brought a video uh, with me that I'd love to show you. It's actual footage of me at an emotion support group uh, that I like to attend. My name's Ralph, and I'm a bad guy. Uh, let's see. I'm nine feet tall. I weigh 643 pounds. Got a little bit of a temper on me. My passion bubbles very near the surface, I guess. Not gonna lie. Anywho, what else? Uh, I'm a wrecker. I wreck things professionally. I'm gonna wreck it! I mean, I'm very good at what I do. Probably the best I know. The thing is, yeah! fixing is the name of the game. Literally, Fix It Felix Jr. So, yeah, naturally the guy with the name Fix-It Felix is the good guy. He's nice enough as good guys go. Definitely fixes stuff really well. But uh, if you've got a magic hammer from your father, how hard can it be? If he was a regular contractor, carpenter guy, I guarantee you, you would not be able to fix the damage that I do as quickly. And when Felix does a good job, he gets a medal. But... Are there medals for wrecking stuff really well? To that, I say, ha! N and no. I tended to think growing up that emotions are bad. That if we can maintain a level of peace at all times, that that is what a real person does. And if you feel emotions, you should pick them up and you should stuff them right back inside. But when I went to scripture, I saw something a little bit different from what I had perceived to be true. 
in John 2, verse 13, Jesus is going to the temple. Now, it's Passover, and he's going to visit the temple. And what you need to know about the temple is that people would bring sacrifices to the temple. But when he showed up, money changers were outside the temple, and they were selling things to people selling them a sacrifice. Yeah, you know what? What you brought probably isn't good enough, but here, I'll sell you a dove or something. I literally, I don't know anything about sacrifices. Actually, it kind of turns my stomach, uh, that emotional thing. You don't want me to vomit. So let's just imagine sacrifices, whatever it is they're doing here. All right, so I'm going to sell you this, and you can go sacrifice it. Oh, here, you know, I got you something better over here. How much money do you have? And when Jesus shows up to the temple, he sees that this has become a place where people are profiting but that's not ever what the temple was and Jesus reaction is um, similar to mine at the sledding hill incidentally I'll have you know when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts he found people selling cattle sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. All right, so Jesus seems to be having some emotions. Interesting. In John 11, verse 32 through 44, Jesus has just found out that his friend Lazarus has died. Now, remember... If we're thinking that emotions are bad and that our example is Jesus, we might expect that Jesus, you know, the Son of God who knows that the heaven's there, will receive this news with a level of um, peaceful acceptance. But this is really what happens. When Mary, so Mary is Lazarus' sister, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. If you move a little bit farther, he says, take me to the tomb and roll away the stone. And they say, but he's been in there four days. Jesus, now you're getting crazy. I believe that at that point they're saying, what were you thinking? Don't open that door. But they roll away the stone, and Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus rises and comes out of the tomb. Jesus wept. He felt compassion. He saw the people around him grieving, and he felt deep sorrow, and it moved him to the tomb to call his friend out from the dead. In... Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46, Jesus is facing his own death. Now, he's known this his whole life. He was sent to earth to take on the weight of our sins. But now it's come to the time where he is about to do it. He is coming face to face with his own um, demise. And in the hours leading up to this, he grabs his three friends and he says, come with me to the garden. Come with me and stay up with me. And his friends fall asleep. And he goes and, and he finds them again and he says, are you sleeping? 
Please stay awake. And the friends wake up, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. Uh, I didn't mean to. And Jesus, you know, probably says, like, that's cool. I'm the son of God. It's okay. Uh, I, I imagine that. And then he goes back again, but his friends fall asleep again. And in these hours of his deepest grief and sorrow, he is completely alone. But in that aloneness, he is driven toward prayer. He spends those last hours in communion with his father, begging his father to take this away, and then accepting that this is what's happening. But nowhere in there does he say, it's all good, everything's fine. Jesus is in anguish. Um, Here in... 26, verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus felt sorrow. Jesus felt overwhelmed. Jesus felt grief. And when I read what is happening in scripture, I say to myself, is everything about me bad? Because I see some things that are similar to me. These are emotions that I'm feeling, that I feel like maybe I shouldn't be feeling. But even the Lord himself felt a vast array of emotions. In Genesis 1.27, Scripture says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When I second guess this person that I am, I always go back to the very first chapter of this Bible, where the Lord has created humans, male and female, and he has created them in his image. We are a reflection of God. Our character is made up of the characteristics of our Lord. It tells us so in scripture. And so the question I then have for myself is, hmm, all right then. So emotions aren't bad because I see them here, but my emotions continue to get me in trouble What's the difference? When I read about Jesus' emotions, I see that Jesus' anger drives him to right an injustice. Jesus' sorrow motivates him to heal, and Jesus' loneliness and despair drives him to call on his Father and get in community with him. So what's going on with me? The truth is that if our emotions are left unchecked, they lead to demise. When we don't check in with our emotions, insecurity becomes inability. I have lots of them, but I wrote them down. Follow with me. And you can see them on the screen, I think. Pride becomes conceit. Grief becomes despair. Caution becomes anxiety. Loneliness becomes isolation. Disappointment becomes hopelessness. Guilt becomes shame. And anger becomes hate. 
So how do we find this balance? How do we find the balance between the emotions that cause me to sit in the principal's office and the emotions that drive us to do what's good? In Philippians 4, verse 7, up on the screen too. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we find the balance? First, we realize that we can allow our emotions to hijack our behavior or we can allow our emotions to drive us, to propel us toward positive action. We need to ask ourselves, what is God telling me and what does God want me to do? Emotions are a language. Emotions are an alert. They are a notification. And when we can filter these through this peace that guards our hearts and guards our minds, and we can ask ourselves, what is the Lord trying to tell me right now? Not what do I feel like doing, which might be punch amber in the face. But what is the Lord telling me to do? This emotion is real. And this emotion is not bad. But what is the Lord telling me? And what does the Lord want me to do? Thirdly, we can filter our emotions through this peace. Stop. When you feel this emotion, filter it through that peace that is just under the surface of the chaos. Filter it through that peace that Lord has uh, promised to guard our hearts. Filter it through that peace and that guarding that the Lord has provided for us. When we filter our emotions through that peace, we find something a little bit different. Insecurity becomes assurance. Pride becomes humility. Grief becomes healing. Caution becomes bravery. Loneliness becomes connectedness, and disappointment becomes hope. Guilt becomes restoration, and anger becomes justice. I love the song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Have you ever been on the ocean and the waves are crashing and boats are doing whatever, but I'm terrified of the ocean. Why did I even use that as an example? Because of the song, that's why. That might be partly why I don't go in the ocean. So waves are crashing, but what is happening just beneath the surface? It's peace. Nothing is moving. It's unshakable. When our emotions are crashing down around us, that peace in our heart, that peace, the guarding that the Lord has provided us of our mind and of our heart, keeps us well. That is the filter that our emotions can come through. I am absolutely fascinated with um, the author, Maya Angelou. Uh, my son plays this constant game of would you rather, 
constant. I'm talking, it's been going on, it's my 11-year-old, so if you meet him at some point, you may want to ask him, he'll have an amazing would you rather. They are thought-provoking, they keep me up at night. He's been playing this game for a solid eight years, I kid you not. And so his new thing now is to compare, mom, would you like to meet, would you rather meet Mother Teresa or Maya Angelou? Mom, would you rather meet Jesus or Maya Angelou? Mom, would you rather? I'm telling you, I guess the kid knows, she's my favorite author. Now, what fascinates me the most about Maya Angelou is this. Her life was far from easy. In fact, in her childhood, she was bounced around from home to home and in and out of abusive situations one of which was so horrific that I would not repeat it here. And you can use your imagination and know that her response to that at the time was not to speak for years. She did not open her mouth for years after she was hurt so deeply as a small child. Now, as she grew up as an African-American woman in the United States, she faced racism. She faced poverty. She faced uh, being a teenage mother. She persevered. If there is anybody that could allow the emotions of this world to sway her left and right, I would say it could be Maya Angelou. I would say if there is anybody who could stand here, she's passed away, which is why the constant would you rather, in case you were wondering. If she were standing here, she could stand here and say, enough, I give up. This is too much. My life was so much worse than anybody here. At, at six feet tall as a woman, she was not a classic idea of a, a model or of an actress, and yet... She was a singer, an actress, a producer, an author, an activist, an advocate. She used her voice and her mind despite circumstances, despite those emotions that could have swayed her left and right and moved her from this path of peacefulness. And yet, in everything you read, her emotions are not absent her emotions are there. But at the center of everything she writes is this movement, this drive forward, this peace. She accepts where she is in life. She accepts what has happened. She accepts the world around her and she feels the emotions deeply and to the pit of the core of her humanity, all the emotions. And yet, in the feeling of those emotions, she is propelled forward, not paralyzed. In this poem, just like Job, she says this, My Lord, my Lord, long have I cried out to thee. In the heat of the sun, the cool of the moon, my screams searched the heavens for thee. My God, when my blanket was nothing but dew, rags and bones were all I owned, I chanted your name, just like Job. You said to lean on your arm, and I'm leaning. 
You said to trust in your love, and I'm trusting. You said to call on your name, and I'm calling. I'm stepping out on your word, into the alleys, into the byways, into the streets, and the roads, and the highways, past rumor mongers and midnight ramblers, past the liars and the cheaters and the gamblers, on your word, on your word, on the wonderful word of the Son of God, I'm stepping out on your word. Friends, I challenge you, as you feel the emotions that will most certainly be a part of your humanity, I challenge you to remember that you were created in the image of God, that the Lord knit you together with each of the characteristics that make you uniquely you, and that as you are feeling the things around you, sorrow, guilt, loneliness, that instead of allowing those things to grip you and to paralyze you, that you ask yourself, Lord, what is this language? What are these words? What are you trying to tell me? And where do you want me to go? Let's pray. Father, as we feel the weight of this world on our shoulders, as we feel the disappointment, sorrow, grief, anger, and loneliness wash over us, let us remember the heart of peace you have planted in us. Father, guide us as we explore the vast emotions you have allowed us to experience. Do not allow us to be frozen in fear, but move us into action that we may make the world around us into a better place. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.